So I kind of was like, I don't know, but why don't we go to this meeting together? Like, see what there is to offer. Zulily clearly wants to talk to us. We went to this meeting and they were growing like wildfire. They told us exactly what they wanted us to do, which was do some private label. Um, we left that meeting with, I think it was a hundred and sixty thousand dollar order. Wow! Did you feel like you were on to something when you had that order? Oh my god, we were so excited. Well, we could, we didn't believe it. We had this amazing meeting, and we were kind of both in disbelief. Like, oh, I don't know. Like, there's no way that this is happening. I mean, when you think about it now, it's a crazy thought, right? It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten down. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go through that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. That was Marta Miller describing the deal that launched Lefty Production Co. into a business. At the time, Marta was in the middle of liquidating her previous company and didn't even know if she could fulfill $160,000 worth of orders on time. So she did what any spirited entrepreneur would have done. She said yes to the deal and got to work. Fueled by the thrill of the moment to drawing on her resourcefulness, Marta built a company that now partners with the likes of Amazon and Target to fill our closets with our favorite sweaters, dresses, yoga pants, and more. But chasing dreams comes at a cost. From doubting her interest in medicine to shutting down her first company, Marta has faced it all. However, rather than let these challenges be an obstacle, she used these obstacles to forge a path forward. The obstacle became the way. To see where she gets her drive, let's circle back to her childhood home. You know, I grew up with parents that both kind of grew up pretty poor. They really built a life for themselves. My dad had a law practice and so he was working so hard, he wasn't even coming home for dinner. So my mom would kind of, you know, give us a bath and then we would go to, you know, meet him for dinner somewhere and then he would go back to work and we would go to bed. The main message that I learned was work wasn't really something we did from nine to five and then we led our lives, you know. His secretaries were always at our ballet recitals and they were just kind of woven into the fabric of our lives. Building a business wasn't about just building a business. It was more about building a family that was working together to do something really like important. And it was just a family of people that kind of worked every day together. And I just have so many vacation moments where we would be, you know, in Hawaii at a Kinko's <laughs> and it was just kind of something we had to do before going to Disney World or before doing something, my dad had to go check a fax or, you know, and I remember actually we would go to Kinko's and his secretary would like write us a note on the fax and it was like so cool to be able to get that. <laughs> um, they made it really, you know, kind of a part of our lives. I never once resented it. Wanting to recreate this intimate environment when she grew up, Marta set her mind on entrepreneurship. 
from from my child, I knew I had to have my own business. I mean, that was just so clear as day to me. Um, so I thought I would always kind of go into like the medical field. Um, and I was going to be a psychologist. And my junior year of college, I went to work for a psychologist um, as in, you know, I did an internship. And in that internship, I realized like my world kind of shattered. I was like, whoa, I actually don't want to do what I've kind of said I was going to do since high school. Um, I realized that it wasn't my, it wasn't my path. But where did you become interested in fashion? What were the first inklings of, okay, this is, this, this might be something I'm interested in. I had, uh, I have a dear friend, Daphna, who We've kind of been in the industry together now forever, but she was a fashion major and I was just jealous. I was like, oh, that's so fun. I wish that was my homework. Like it just felt so amazing and rewarding to me. And so then it was kind of time to graduate and I was just like, I think it's my time to kind of go abroad. I never went abroad and really kind of figure this out, right? This is a perfect time to kind of figure it out and see if fashion really is my thing. The second I got to London and started studying fashion, it was, I was like, okay, this is, my brain can totally handle this. Um, I can actually be really good at this. And I interned um, in London with an amazing designer named Matthew Williamson. I just have like this crystal clear memory in my head of like it kind of drizzling in London and just like skipping down the streets with like so much joy, um, knowing that this was like the exact industry for me um, and really kind of feeling like I was in the right place. You know, I wasn't like this amazing, you know, artist or anything like that. I didn't have these like amazing sewing skills or that wasn't really what I loved. I loved just seeing a, a product and then thinking about how to make it. So in in London, I I met Christian Siriano. But he wasn't the Christian Siriano we all know today. He was like in the same flat as me and was was just became one of my dearest friends. And, you know, I have to say that growing up around somebody that's so talented really pushed me a lot, you know, and kind of gave me these ideas that I probably wouldn't have had had I not had this amazing relationship in my life, right? You know, I was I was right there with him um, right when he, you know, won Project Runway the first time. And I was just watching him do make his dreams come true. You know, this 24-year-old going out there, starting a company, and, you know, now looking back, I'm like, God, I had so much courage and, you know, confidence. When I got to LA, I would go to this um, fabric store called International Silks and Woolens. It's still one of my favorite fabric stores. And I went there one day and I started talking to the guys there. And I told them that I was looking for a job. 
And one of the guys at the fabric store, his name's Samer, he was like, oh my God, my darling, stay right here on his landline. He called Rosetta Getty, who um, ended up being my boss and mentor for the next three years. Rosetta's such a visionary. So, you know, she would just have an idea and she would just make it come to life. And through that is really where I understood how to lead as well um, and kind of dream up things and make them happen, um, which I think is one of the most important skills of an entrepreneur, right? Because you don't have a boss telling you what to do. To create a startup, Marta had to be a self-starter. She had to plot out ideas, create her own projects, and outline the steps needed to transform her vision into reality. But she couldn't do this on her own. Role models and friends inspired her along the way. Christian's fearlessness proved that success only happens when you dare to reach for it. Meanwhile, Rosetta's drive demonstrated the importance of taking agency as a leader. Marta learned by observing, and it paid off in spades. Her friends' examples empowered her to set goals she never thought possible, which is how, at just 24 years old, Marta founded her first company, Moody Mamas. I moved to LA. I really had one friend. Her name's Elise. And she and I were decided we wanted to live together. And she actually had the idea of making maternity underwear. Um, you know, we were like at the time so far away from having kids ourselves and everything. But we wanted to kind of make this time in a woman's life a really special, fun occasion. You know, we felt like there was like a total niche in the market. This is, you know, 2007 that that company started. And so it was not glamorous, cool or sexy to be pregnant. That was not a thing, you know. And so the way you did it back then was you got showrooms on board and the showrooms would take you to market. You know, Amazon wasn't really a thing back then, right? You know, this whole direct to consumer culture wasn't a thing. And so we had to get Moody Mamas into boutiques in order to get the Nordstrom's, the Target's, the Walmart's of the world to pay attention to us. You know, we actually launched it and we, you know, made sample sets. I remember we got all of the top showrooms. So we looked at like who our competitors would be and we researched and we, we contacted all of their showrooms. And then we went and we flew to Chicago, to Texas, to Atlanta and then LA, obviously. And we put it in the showrooms that rep similar lines. In the first time that we went to market um, where the boutiques would come and buy our stuff, that exact time was when the stock market crashed and we had the recession. It went up and it went down just as fast. Literally, I like have vivid memories of being in market and like everybody was like on their phone, just kind of watching, <laughs> watching the world collide. We were like, wow, we thought we were going to like do this, launch this brand. I remember we had these beautiful cashmere sweaters, these nursing wraps, and we were going to, you know, our plan was to sell them for like three, four hundred dollars. And 
like nobody was even thinking like that at the time, you know? So it didn't have as good of a start as it could have probably have, but it gave us the time to kind of figure out what we were doing because we had to figure out the production channel. And so we were literally eating Subway sandwiches, running from a fabric vendor to a cutting house, to a sample sewer, back to a pattern maker. And we were just like living in our cars in downtown LA, um, working and trying to make this happen and begging begging, begging people to care about our product. And no matter how much we begged, we just could not get a consistent person or a consistent factory to really be behind us and to help us with the tools we needed in order to properly grow um, and be able to domestically uh, produce this. When hitting roadblocks time and time again, it can be tempting to be overly pessimistic. Yet Marta's story illustrates that everything happens for a reason if you let it. The obstacle becomes the way. Whether you're spiritually inclined or not, it can be comforting to know that setbacks aren't just setbacks. They're gold mines of learning. From them, we can grow better at gauging our own strengths and weaknesses. They train our ability to tackle problems with prudence and composure so that next time something goes awry, we'll be ready to spring into action. This mindset made it easier for Marta to deal with Moody Mama's rocky start. From thinking critically about her situation, she recognized the fashion industry's dire need for a one-stop manufacturer. And though she didn't know it at the time, this realization would soon plant the seed for Lefty Production Co. We had this vision that we wanted to be in Target from the beginning. Um, we were like, we're going to be the next, I think her name was like Liz Long or something. We just kind of put one foot in front of the other till we got to that place. And we started getting like a little bit of our own press, right? We started getting on like mommy bloggers were picking us up. It kind of started having like a life of its own which we were really like proud of. And we were determined to get into Target and we did. And um, it felt great until we had to figure out what that actually meant um, in order to produce it for them, right? So obviously it's Target. So the margin was so slim. There was no way we could manufacture this in America. We ended up producing it in Peru. I fully feel like I learned how to run a factory in Peru. So I don't have any like thing but gratitude towards this experience in my life, but it was crazy. I mean, we were two girls living in like Lima, Peru, going to a factory that was completely armed. I mean, we had to have our own driver because it was just not safe. So I pretty much spent so much time at a factory. And there I kind of started realizing like, wow, these people aren't like running around like chickens with their heads cut off the way we are in LA. Everything is right here. The pattern maker is here. The marking and grading guy is here. The sample sewers are here. I was just blown away by how efficient their factories were, right? And how efficient the process could be. It was really there that I kind of was like, why, why can't this be done in LA? Like, this seems like not that hard. Um, 
But at the time, LA, the fashion industry was completely, completely, you know, fragmented. In hindsight, I could say it was a wonderful experience, but I think that that experience, we got into Target, we were kind of told by Target that their contract was over and if we did well and if, you know, it all went well, we would maybe have the chance to be the next, um, you know, get the next 10-year contract with them and it didn't happen. It's devastating when you give it your all and still it's not enough. Marta had checked all the boxes. She had a concrete goal with a target date, created a production process that worked and even uprooted her life in LA to live in Peru. Yet the contract still fell through. I can imagine questions like, what could I have done differently? Or what went wrong? Whirling through Marta's head as she watched her dream slip through her fingers. While pondering these questions can prime us to handle future challenges, Brooding over them for too long can leave us feeling more dejected than satisfied. Marta moved on from her dejection by reflecting on what went right, the incredible factory efficiency she witnessed. To show a design to the pattern maker and get the fabric to the sample sewer in less than a day, that's mind-blowing. Whereas LA's production process had felt like a 10-mile traffic jam, Peru's process felt like speeding down a racetrack with no obstacles on the road. Thrilled by the potential of a unified production process, Marta was ready to apply her expertise in LA. And as it turns out, she wouldn't be the only one rooting for her success when she got back. You know, I just am a huge believer that everything in life is like meant to be or comes into your life for a reason. At Moody Mamas, one of our first boutiques was a boutique called Village Maternity. And my buyer's name was Kat. And then Kat ended up joining a small little company called Zulily. And she was, I think, the third or fourth employee there and kind of came in, was like, oh my God, you guys, we're going to be able to like do Moody Mamas. And it was perfect timing because we were starting to want to liquidate. So as we were kind of liquidating Moody Mamas, I became really good friends with Kat. And she kept wanting more and more and more inventory. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know like, do I tell her the truth or do I just kind of like not address her questions? But finally I was like, look Kat, like I don't think I'm gonna be able to give you more inventory for Moody Mamas. And she was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, you know how to manufacture in America. Like you don't understand how much we need this right now. And I was like, oh, I, I, I don't understand. I, you know, and so she was like, you, you should really come here because I think you really need to meet the founders and, you know, put your head together with the team on how we could be supplementing some of our inventory needs with domestic production. And so Moody Mamas had an employee at the time, Emily. She was like, well, what's gonna happen to me if Moody Mamas doesn't work out? And so I kind of was like, I don't know, but why don't we go to this meeting together? Like see what there is to offer. Zulily clearly wants to talk to us. And so we went to this meeting and they told us exactly what they wanted us to do, which was to help them kind of do some private label. Um, and respond to it really quickly. And so we left that meeting with, I think it was $160,000 order. Wow. 
did you feel like you were on to something when you had that order? We left with this, you know, promise of an order and it like came into, it came to us like on a Friday, I remember. And of course, like everything in the fashion industry, they wanted it like immediately and they wanted to see how quickly we could do it. And, you know, we didn't even have a company. Emily and I were like, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's call the fabric vendors. Let's see how quickly we can get the fabric. Like, let's do this thing, right? And we started calling the fabric vendors and Emily is telling her everything we need to make this order happen. And she was like, this is a really like substantial order. And Emily was like, yeah, I know. How quickly can we get it? And she was like, Oh, and also, can we get terms on that order? And what does terms on the order mean? Terms on the order means like we can pay in like 60 days, say. And so obviously they weren't going to do that. Um, and she was like, well, what's your company name? And we were like, that is a great question. We'll get back to you on Monday. And so, you know, Lefty Production Company started with an order before it even had a name. And... That's that's most of my career, I would say, is, you know, kind of maybe not thinking everything through 100%, but coming up with it on the go and like trusting like my gut and like the way it's going to navigate me. Um, and yeah, we that weekend, I remember coming up with names and I was texting Emily and Emily was coming up with names and Anyway, we were both left-handed, and so we came up with Lefty Production Company. A huge first order, excited texts pinging back and forth, and then the light bulb moment. That's it, Lefty Production Company. Marta approached the creation of her company's name with the same spontaneity and bold decision-making that she had carried with her her whole career. From jumping into London's fashion scene without second thought to starting Moody Mamas only two years after graduation, the risks Marta took supercharged her momentum. Rather than wait around for a surprise success or an accidental breakthrough, she sprinted towards her goals at full speed. Marta's confidence was key to converting vision into reality. Not many people would dare to say yes to a $160,000 deal when they don't have inventory and the deadline is just around the corner. But for Marta, not having a company was secondary to these bigger questions. Did she believe in herself? Did she have a track record for delivering overnight results? The answer was clear, yes and yes. So with no time to lose, she rolled up her sleeves and got to work. So once you had the name, you had that first order, what was like your next big win for Lefty Production Company? I think the next big win was actually shipping the order. Um, it was very simple, um, was to actually accomplish shipping it and not making a mistake. I, we, we both were fully aware that we could make, I think at the end of it, we had done the math, like we were gonna make like 30 to $40,000 if it all went well and if it didn't go well, it was awful, you know? And so there was just like zero room for error. From 2012, when Lefty Incorporated to 2016, Lefty primarily did private label. And so we worked with, you know, Zulily, Amazon, Urban, um, Free People, 
So we primarily focused on private label and we had a small, tiny little bit of our business. I'm talking like 10 clients worth. Um, that kind of did what Lefty does today, which, you know, we would help clients with their development, their cutting, their sewing. And it was just such a small part of our business, but it was the part that I was the best at. Emily is so amazing at spreadsheets and Excel. And, you know, when I bought the company from her in 2016, like I was in tears without her. Like I just, it was like, I, I just lost something so big, but she was just so good at so much that I wasn't good at. And so it was really kind of me just like being like, wait, what did I do even buying this company? Like, I'm not that like good at this. And so my husband was like, babe, what are you good at? You know, and us really realizing that I loved helping individual clients and brands. And so, you know, it was really kind of deciding that that is the one thing I'm good at. I'm never going to be amazing at like, spreadsheets and ordering stuff. And that's just not where I'm going to excel. Um, but I love to run a factory floor. I love to make products. And so I've been kind of honing what that customer experience looks like and how to really build it where I'm not, you know, where I don't have to have my finger on every button, you know? And so what are you most excited for, for the future? From 2016 to 2019, you know, Lefty kind of, it was kind of hemming and hawing, you know, kind of like doing its thing. We were getting better at everything. We were kind of building our core foundation, our core team. And I kind of got like, like the world, you know, of COVID just kind of threw me flat back on my face. I was devastated. I'm so close to successfully running a company for a decade. And I was like, we're done. I was about to kind of really shut it down. But at this point, you know, I didn't have a business partner, but instead I have 40 business partners because Lefty is a family. We all rallied together. We were all so scared anyway, and we all rallied together and we, you know, put sewers in homes and we, built like all these different facilities that were helping us that weren't shut down. By March 20th, I had an order of like almost a million masks to make. It saved, I mean, it saved the company wholeheartedly. Kaiser Permanente specifically um, saved Lefty Production Company. And so in 2020, I had to be like, you guys, peace out. Like, I'm not a part of this company anymore. I'm going to figure out how to work with hospitals. And you guys keep these customers happy because I promise they're going to need us in six months. And thank God ended up needing us in six months. But we transitioned the whole company. Um, and but that experience allowed my team to really just rise to the occasion. So. I'm just so excited to see what they build for themselves, right? Because now Lefty works like a law firm, like how I was raised. And we have multiple different account managers. Now we have Lefty in Los Angeles and we have Stitch Texas in Austin. 
and I hope to maybe even build a third location or um, eventually I'd love to build a really big production facility in Texas. But at this point, Lefty really is kind of like an agency that allows so many creative individuals like the chance to have a creative career. And, you know, I just am so excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, it's been so awesome. Like, it's so awesome to hear that you are creating that opportunity for other creatives. And so looking back at your story, what advice do you think you would give to yourself at the beginning of this journey into fashion? It just doesn't work like that, right? Because I just look at like all my darkest moments or... I look at like all of my like scariest experiences and they just like taught me so much. My biggest lesson as a leader is that nobody wants their boss around and you know, I want to be there for the good times and I want to let them figure out the bad times calmly and collectively without somebody judging them. And that's what people want. People want ownership. People want to feel like they can own their own lives. And I never really could do that successfully until the pandemic. I think I could have been a lot more successful had I really trust the people around me um, and not tried to get so involved myself. Yeah, I remember, you know, just we would go on a four day weekend and I would leave on a Thursday and, you know, be gone Friday and I wasn't even able to relax, you know, and it's not the way to to be, you know, and life short and, you know, we need to trust the people around us and stuff like that. So I think it kind of, you know, I don't I don't know if I would have ever learned that lesson had it not been for COVID. Marta has always been drawn to the thrill of running into things without quite knowing where it might take her. And I think she might be attracted to that lifestyle, that mode of thought, because it is in those situations that she's most likely to discover something new about herself. But taking risks naturally comes with its cost. At times, life felt pretty unstable. Would the contract with Target succeed or fall through? Can Lefty Production Co. survive through the pandemic? To balance the erratic nature of entrepreneurship, Marta depends on the people around her. She realized early on that a business is rarely just a business. It's a community of individuals coming together for a mission. You can see how much this principle means to Marta from the way she runs Lefty Production Co. To her, every voice matters, just as each member in a family matters. It pains her to cut even one person out because to her, employees aren't just numbers on a spreadsheet. They're friends, teammates, and her biggest cheerleaders. Marcha's story proves that running towards your goals is a lot more meaningful when you're running with a community. So go out there and take risks. Dream big, but remember, dreams only feel realized when you're able to share them with others. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Renee B. Cannon, Sophia Donner, Maura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez, Michael Chung, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. 
Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibada Thrive, and Mecca Shelton. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sohail Amatya, Tiffany Dang, Jonathan Wass, and Diana Marie Candazza. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.